Thank you for joining our podcast here at Peninsula Covenant Church. Stay tuned as together we'll study God's Word. Hey, about 20 years ago, there was a popular uh, worship song, uh, and I think of it this morning. I want to read the lyrics to you. It, it's called The Heart of Worship, and it's got a backstory that I'm not going to take time for, but here's the line of it. It says, when the music fades and all is stripped away, and I simply come, longing just to bring something that's of worth that will bless your heart. I'll bring you more than a song, for a song in itself is not what you have required. You search much deeper within, through the way things appear, you're looking into my heart. And here's the lyric I thought of this morning. I'm coming back to the heart of worship, and it's all about you. It's all about you, Jesus. I'm sorry, Lord, for the thing I've made it, when it's all about you. It's all about you, Jesus. I'm so grateful that you would gather, even when we don't have electricity, when we don't have lights, when we don't have, well, we do have amplification, but I'm so grateful for your heart because we gather in a tradition of our brothers and sisters around the world right now, some who are gathering at the risk of their own life, uh, of the early church who gathered in the tombs uh, underground in Rome and in other places because they risked uh, worshiping Jesus in public, and I am so grateful to be a part of you. And Ironically, we're going to talk about uh, how we move forward when God says no. God said no to us today, and we're going to learn what David did when God gave him a no. You ready for this? For his biggest dream he ever had with his whole life. And it was a great dream. It was a noble dream. And he brought it to the Lord as a sacrifice to him, and God said no. And what did David do? So th- that, this is going to be great. But to start off, I want to ask you this question. What is the no that you're living in right now? What is it that's unanswered, undefined? You, know, you can't explain it. That you prayed for it and it hasn't come. What is the no that you're living in right now? You prayed for that job or that promotion or just provision for this month, and God said, no. Or you prayed for a spouse, and you're still living in singleness. Or you prayed for the reconciliation of some relationship. Or you prayed for the sobriety of someone you love. Or you prayed for someone to return back to the Lord, and you think, oh my gosh, it's not happening. Or you prayed for healing, in the midst of a terrible diagnosis? Or you pray for a baby and he just can't get pregnant. Now we need to understand that uh, people are living with these no's in our very midst every week. And we gather, may we and we are, but may we grow as a community that holds space for the pain that people bring in and never express. What do you do when God says no? Where do you find hope when dreams die? Open your Bibles to 2 Samuel 7. Uh, It's 306 in the Pew Bible. Um, And uh, this actually is one of the most important chapters in all the Old Testament. I'm going to build that out and build a case for that. What happens in 2 Samuel 7 actually changes world history. 
uh, and it will change your life if you uh, join me and walk through. And we trust around here the Spirit of God takes the Word of God to do a work of God. And if we allow the Spirit of God to take His Word, which is living, and do a work in our life, it will change our lives together. So here's the context. This should be an encouragement to all of us. We left David last week in a cave. Uh, Saul had 3,000 of his army looking for him. All, he was fugitive, number one, for Israel. And he knew that God had called him to be king, but he had no idea how he would get from the deserts of Judea, hiding in a cave, running for his life to Jerusalem. It seemed impossible. When we pick up this story today, he's in Jerusalem. May that be an encouragement for all of us. If God calls, God provides. Where God designs for you, he it will take responsibility to fulfill through you. That's where David is today. He's in Jerusalem. He's the king. Saul's dead. Uh, and he's brought the Ark of the Covenant, Israel's most um, sacred piece of property, the Ark of the Covenant, where, where the tablets were, the Ten Commandments, where the Spirit of God rested, where God's presence rested, the uh, not the Spirit of God, God's presence, the Ark of the Covenant. And David has a big, hairy, audacious goal for God. That's where we pick it up in 2 Samuel 7. Are you there? Verse 1, here we go. When King David was settled in his palace, and the Lord had given him rest from all the surrounding enemies... There's so much behind that. The king summoned Nathan. Circle that word. We're going to talk about him next week, too. This guy was amazing in David's life. The prophet. Look, David said, I'm living in a beautiful cedar palace. By the way, the book will bring this out uh, this week in your reading. We're following a book uh, in our small groups. They literally are unearthing this palace as we speak. Archaeologists discovered this palace just a number of years ago. Some of us were there last March and, and actually walked through this. Uh, history, archaeology is actually verifying the scriptures in their digs. They're digging this up outside of Jerusalem. You'll see pictures pictures of that in your small groups this week. But he's like, I'm living in a cedar palace, but the ark of God is in a tent. What's he referring to? Uh, the tent was what's called the tabernacle. Have you heard that term? Tabernacle? Uh, if we had PowerPoint, you would see this amazing picture of this tabernacle. Uh, there's a replica in Israel. It was uh, a linen cloth perimeter, and it had lived in the desert for about 400 years, an arid desert. It was run down by this point. And David, in purity and simplicity of his devotion to the Lord, says, you know what? It's just not fair. It's not fair that I have this palace, and God's out there in a scraggly tent. Verse 3, Nathan replied to the king, Go ahead, do whatever you had in mind. Nathan, Nathan's a prophet, for the Lord is with you. But that same night, the Lord says to Nathan, Go tell my servant David, this is what the Lord has declared. And these are words for David. Are you the one to build a house for me to live in? And then in verse 6 and 7, God almost sounds playful. I'm going to truncate it, but here's the essence of 6 and 7. I'm just taking words and, and taking out the fluff. He says this, I've never lived in a house. I've always moved from one place to another. I've never once complained. I've never asked you, why haven't you built me a beautiful cedar house? In other words, God is saying to David, why are you going beyond my word? And God says no to David's noble dream. 
What I want to do in our remaining minutes is just talk about from this passage, why did God say no? And I want to give you some handles to hold on to. I'm not going to explain it. There's mystery with God. And if you're not comfortable with that, um, you won't be comfortable following Christ. Uh, And then talk about what do we do when God says no? Okay, so let's just pick it up in your notes, the bottom of page one. Why does God say no? Here's the first reason God explains. Because God has a bigger perspective. God has a bigger perspective. Um, When we adopted our fifth daughter, uh, she came to us at three years old, uh, beautiful but bacteria-filled. Uh, She came to us not speaking Lingala. She came from the Congo, not speaking English. And uh, soon we had to take her to the hospital to get her blood tested and to figure out what bacteria was in her so we can get antibiotics in her and get her on her way to health. And I'll never forget uh, Anne and me heading to the hospital with Jojo at three years old. She had trusted us and, and still trusts us, but I just felt inside of me, I felt like I was betraying her in some way. And I totally wasn't. She needed this. But we walk in, and, and the minute the needle goes in, I'm holding her with my arms and my legs so she won't squirm as they're taking seven vials of blood out of her. And she is screaming at the top of her lungs. In language I didn't understand, but what I completely did understand looking into her eyes. Why? Why are you doing this? This hurts. Why? And with language I couldn't communicate to her, but from a father and a mother's heart, the motive behind that was because we love you. And we have a perspective you don't. We have access to medical science that can get to what's inside you and is, is, is killing you. As I was in that experience, I vividly remember the Lord ministering to me and in essence saying, how many times have you cried out to me with why? And do you think I'm any less of a father than you are to your daughter in saying no? and bringing you through experiences that you'll never understand. That's exactly what he says here with David, verse 8. He says, Now then, tell my servant David, this is what the Lord Almighty says. I took you from the pasture, from tending the flock. I appointed you to rule over my people, Israel. Don't miss that. In other words, he was saying, David, you were once ruling sheep. You're now ruling nations. I have been so good to you to get you to this point. I've been with you wherever you've gone. I've cut off all your enemies from before you. And now I'll make your name great. Like the names of the greatest men on earth. In essence, that's all David wanted. He wanted to be great before God. And God's saying to him, I'm going to answer your prayer. But I'm going to do it in a way completely different than you think. As a matter of fact, what we'll get to is I'm going to do it better than building me a temple. Your name will be great, but not because you built a temple, but for something greater than that. I'll provide a place for my people, Israel. Now jump down to verse 11. The Lord declares, the Lord himself will establish a house for you. In other words, God's playing on the word house here. Do you see what he's doing? He's saying, you want to build me a house? (laughs) I'm going to go big, David. I'm going to build you a house greater than the cedar temple, uh, cedar palace you're living in. Verse 12, for when you die and you're buried with your ancestors, now David can't see that from this perspective, 
But he's like, you're going to die. You're going to be buried. I will raise up one of your descendants, one of your offspring, and I'll make his kingdom strong. He, that's Solomon, his son, is the one who will build a house and a temple for my name. David can't see it. He didn't even have a son at that point. But God can. In other words, God's saying, David, I have a perspective you don't even have access to. Trust me. First reason God says no is because God has a bigger perspective. Second reason, top of page two, God has a better plan. God has a better plan. We see all this in hindsight, right? We just don't see it as we're living in the know in the present. Let's pick it up in verse 13. He just talked about an offspring, and now David doesn't get this, okay? But this is the passage that Old Testament prophets, that angels, and that Jesus himself will come back to time and time again. These verses. That's why I say this is one of the most significant chapters in the Bible. Verse 13. God goes beyond Solomon here. I will secure his royal throne, and here's the term, forever. I will be his father, and he will be my son. Who could be a king that is eternal, that has God as his father? Does anyone know a king like that? Your house and your kingdom will continue before me for all time. Your throne will be secure forever. Three times God accesses eternity. Forever, for all time, forever. David, you've committed your life to me. That is a noble cause to build a building. I've got something greater. I am going to bring Messiah through you and leave through your loins an eternal dynasty that will bless the world for all eternity. David, I don't want you spending your time building a temple. I've got something, a bigger plan for you than that. It's easy for us to say this here in a dark room from a 3,000-year perspective, looking in hindsight. But it really, in essence, all God is saying this is, no, you're not going to build my house, but when you're dead, some good stuff's going to happen. That's all David understood, really. Just trust me. Listen, God doesn't have any obligation to let us in on all the minute details of our future. It's enough that he's the Lord and that we trust him. So, why does God say no? There's a million reasons. But today I want you to hold on in faith that he has a bigger perspective and he has a better plan for us. Now, let's get really practical in our remaining minutes together. What do you do when God says no? Uh, What did David do? Here's some encouragement for us all. Verse 17, look at this. So Nathan went back after he told David this, no, and he told him everything the Lord had said in the vision. Then King David, look at this, went in. Where did he go? Where's in? The tabernacle. He left his cedar palace and he went to the dwelling of God. And look at this, he sat. The word there means in Hebrew to dwell. It's used in in 2 Samuel 7, the beginning of the chapter. It also means to marry. It means to inhabit. In other words, David didn't fly by God. He sat before the Lord. He cleared his calendar. He said, this is so important. I I just want to sit before you, and I want to talk to you about this. God loves that. He sat before the Lord and he prayed. And I just want to give you, as I look through the prayer, and your chapter will bring this out in your small groups, uh, three things David did with the no, okay? And this has spoken to me. It's so, so good. Here's the first. 
Think of God's grace to you. Think of God's grace to you. Grace means gift. It's undeserved favor. In other words, David, he could have gone before the Lord and focused on what God wasn't giving him. And for those of you who are, all of us, are living in the know, we can focus on what God isn't giving us. Uh, Ann and I have tremendous no's that we're living in. Laments. It could take us under. But we've made a commitment not to tether our joy to the answer around certain prayers. We're going to try, and we're not trying to be, I'm not trying to present us as more spiritual, to tether our joy to the character of God. And so when God says no, what, we're, uh, what, what David did was encourage himself with all that God has done. Uh, a, a friend of mine calls this thank therapy. Thank therapy. He focuses in gratitude. Look at this, verse 19. Who am I, sovereign Lord? And what is my family that you brought me this far? Do you deal with everyone this way, sovereign Lord? That's not a complaint. That's a compliment. David's focusing not on what he doesn't have. He's consumed with how good God's been to him. What more can I say to you? You know your servant, what your servant's really like, sovereign Lord. But because of your promise and according to your will, you've done all these great things. You've made known to your servant how great you are, sovereign Lord. There's no one like you. We've never even heard of another God like you. Does that sound like somebody who just got the biggest no of his life? No. He took before the Lord all that he did have as opposed to focusing on all he doesn't have. Friends, Romans, the Apostle Paul will later write a book called Romans, and in chapter 12 it says this, you can actually be transformed, how? By renewing your mind. I guarantee you, you fixate on the no, and I'm not saying blow by it, we're human, right? Grieve, mourn. But you fixate on the no, you will never have another ounce of joy in your life. You fixate on the goodness of God and what's eternal, it will be like a tow rope pulling you through. First thing, that's the easy part, thank God for his grace, now it gets really hard, you ready? Thank God for his veto power. Look at verse 25. This is, this is unbelievable. You've got to say either David is a lunatic or there's something David knew that we need to. And now, O oh Lord God, I am your servant. Uh, that's really putting it mildly. The word their servant in Hebrew means one under authority, one with no rights. In other words, David's saying, we signed this deal a long time ago, Lord. You're sovereign. I'm your slave. I told you I would do whatever you wanted me to do. And so I gave you my request. You said no. Let me just rehearse again. You have the right to say no. And this is why the, um, the greatest symbol of our faith hangs in the sanctuary behind my right shoulder, the cross. It's a reminder as we gather every week, we have no rights. Zero. That that the Apostle Paul would say again in Galatians chapter 2, we've been crucified with Christ, if you identify as a Christian. And this is the most freeing way to live. We have been crucified with Christ. We no longer live, but Christ lives in us. The life which we live by faith, uh, the life which we live, we live by faith in the Son of God who loved us and gave himself up for us. We could say the same thing. God, we're your servants. And everyone loves to be a servant in theory until we're treated like servants, right? 
Do as you promised, according to me and my family. Confirm your promise that will last forever. How many of us, let me just ask this question, what do we think of parents who never say no to their kids? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Or think about this. Think of some of the greats in the Bible who received a no from God. Think about Moses walking 40 years in the desert, finally gets to the edge of the promised land, says, I can't wait to go in. And God says, no, you're not going in. I think of the Apostle Paul. He had something going on with him physically, and he begged with the Lord three times, take it away, take it away, take it away. And God said, what? No. My grace is magnified in your pain. Friends, think of Jesus the night before he was arrested. He's in the garden. He prayed, God, take this cup from me. And God said, no, no. See, if God said no to Moses and David and Paul and Jesus, I have a feeling that he's going to say no to us a few times. Raise your hand and testify if you're grateful in retrospect, super glad actually, that God didn't answer every single one of your prayers. Yeah. How many of you are glad, actually, if you're married, that God didn't answer your prayer to marry the first person you fell in love with? (laughs) Thank you for raising your hand, honey. Yeah. How many of you went to your high school reunion and that was confirmed at the high school reunion? I am so thankful. Yes, Danielle, I see that hand. I love you. We're going to read this in the book this week. Uh, There's a line there that's helped me. See no as a redirection, not a rejection. See no as a redirection, not a rejection. So, trust, think of God's grace for you. Thank God for his veto power. And friends, that's by faith. That's coming and singing in the sanctuary by faith, even when you're living with the no. God loves that. And then lastly, trust God with your future. Verse 28, for you, O God, are sovereign, Lord. The word sovereign means you rule over everything. And if you read 2 Samuel, I'd encourage you uh, to go read this in the daylight or somewhere where you have light. That word sovereign is used seven times in this passage. David comes back to it time and time again. You're sovereign. You're sovereign. You're sovereign. You know all things actual and probable. You have my best in mind. I don't understand, but I trust you are sovereign. He comes back that time and time again. To the end in verse 29, he says, You, O sovereign Lord, have spoken, and with your blessing, the house of your servant will be blessed forever. In other words, he says, I'm going to walk from this tabernacle with the blessings you give me as opposed to the blessings I'm asked for, asking for. And God did amazing things. I don't want you to miss this as we wrap this up. Because what God did was exchange David's desire with a kingdom dream. David wanted to build a temple. You know how long the temple lasted that Solomon built? 400 years. And then Babylon came in and decimated it. It's never been rebuilt. Hezekiah built a different one, smaller, and that got decimated, and it still hasn't been rebuilt. David consumed his time in the tabernacle and the caves as a poet. Those psalms that he wrote, 70 of the 150 we have in the psalms, have endured thousands of years and are encouraging people so much. Not only that, through David, a legacy was created. 
And many of the Old Testament prophets pointed back to this exchange when they foresaw the coming Messiah. We're nine weeks away from Christmas. Probably the greatest prophecy given of Christmas from the Isaiah was Isaiah 9, 6, and 7. He refers back to this chapter. He says, for unto us a child is born, for unto us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And we know this, right? He will be called what? This, is, this has got me through so many prayers. Wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace will be no end. And then the prophet quotes 2 Samuel 7. He will reign on David's throne from that time on and forever. Suddenly there was an expectation that a king like David was going to come into the world called Messiah. And then a thousand years later, a teenage girl gets appeared to by an angel. And the angel says, you're going to have Messiah. And this is what he says in Luke 1, 32 to 33. He'll be very great, and he'll be called the Son of the Most High. And then the angel quotes from this passage. He, the, the Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David. And he will reign over Israel forever because his kingdom will have no end. And suddenly, as Mary's story gets out, and shepherds hear about it, and others hear about it, Israel begins to think, could it be? Finally, a king greater than David to emancipate us from Roman rule, to bring Israel back to its original glory? Come with me to Palm Sunday. And Jesus is walking and riding in on a donkey. And people, Israel, are shouting, Hosanna! Hosanna to the son of David! You know what Hosanna means? It's a prayer. Lord, save us! They believed that day that Jesus was that coming king. You're the son of David. They're quoting 2 Samuel 7. And you know what God said? No. I'm not going to answer your Hosanna the way you want it to be answered. And a week later, the one riding on a donkey is placed on a cross and executed and died. Because God had a bigger perspective and God had a better plan. See, David defeated the Philistines, but by his sacrifice, Jesus defeated death forever. David established Jerusalem, but Jesus established the new Jerusalem, the Bible's term for heaven. David brought peace to Israel, but one day Jesus is restoring peace to the whole world. And we're told on that day, in the last chapter of the Bible, and then I'll close with some prayer, in Revelation 22:16, as Jesus is overlooking the new heavens and the new earth, you know what he does, among other things? He refers to 2 Samuel 7. He says, I, in verse 16, I am the root and the offspring of David. I am the bright and morning star. And if God would have answered the Hosanna with a yes, none of that would have been possible. Look, I'm not here to have you leave all happy, clappy, and have it all airtight so we figure out why God says no. And when we're holding those, those really heavy no's, from the Lord, we can just be almost otherworldly and complete denial. I'm not saying that. This will be a wrestle in faith. But I did come here to encourage you in faith. 
and to encourage you to move on and encourage you to hold on that if God has called you to something, it will either be fulfilled or he's doing something greater, not to the prayer you think you need answered, but to the design that he created in you before the foundation of the world. Someone say amen. amen. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much. And I want to hold space in prayer right now. For those of us, and we could all be in this camp, who are holding before you a deep desire, a dream, and you're saying no right now. By faith, we declare you are sovereign. You are good. Maybe you can say that in your heart, holding on to that note. It could be a physical thing. It could be a relational thing. It could be a financial thing. I read these prayer requests. They are real. It could be a spiritual thing. By faith, can you just say to the Lord, you're sovereign. Your plan is greater. And you're good. And even though this circumstance seems to betray that goodness, I'm clinging to your character more than my circumstances. Lord, we trust you today. And I ask by your spirit, you would be a wonderful counselor. Jesus, we need you to be a mighty God. We need a Prince of Peace. And we need an everlasting Father. And you're a greater Father than any earthly Father we've ever had. So we love you today. We trust that you're going to guide us through this no and through the pain. Jesus, you said in this world we're going to have trouble. But may we take hope because you've overcome the world. We love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, Thank you for tuning in to our message podcast here at Peninsula Covenant Church. We would love the opportunity to connect with you more. We are located in Redwood City, California, and you can find us online at wearepcc.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter by simply searching for We Are PCC.